When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 Welcome back to the worst year ever. I'm Robert Evans, the uh, incredibly professional host of this show, who incredibly professionally, without telling anyone, fled to a fortified compound in the mountains this week. So we had some audio issues at the start of this, but now I'm going to introduce the introductions of my co-hosts, who will introduce themselves, because that's, that's their business. Thank you for introducing the introduction section of this podcast. My name is Katie Stoll, a co-host. You have another co-host, right? I do. What's their name? Yours. Is, oh, mine. It's Cody Johnston. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, both of you. Hello, Robert. Hello. Everyone doing good in this this week in which <laughs> uh, presumably we're not sure when this episode will drop, but I assume something terrible has happened. Uh, the be- president has said something baffling, and there's frightening news uh, about diseases or incipient fascism somewhere in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. that was a long sentence yeah. yeah i'm doing great there's a there's despite a all that too there's a debate so tonight maybe maybe joe will shove somebody in the chest who one knows? can only hope mm-hmm. yeah yeah beautiful well today we're not going to be talking about uh the election uh so to speak but we are going to be talking about something that can influence the election and most specifically something that you the listener can do to have an influence on american politics all your life we are talking about the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and today to help us is a real FOIA wizard, a, a master of making the government give him information that it really didn't want to give him. <laughs> Ken Klippenstein! Hey guys, great to be on. Hi Ken. And hello Ken. I'll tell you one you, thing uh, I've already learned on this episode, it's that it's pronounced FOIA. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. saying it differently in my head. Fawia? Yep. Uh, <laughs> Fawia? 
Yeah, I mean, I frequently say words completely wrong that I read a lot, but that's how my mind works. Anyway, hi, Ken. Thank you so much for joining (laughs) us today. (laughs) Hey, good to be with you guys. Is there somewhere you'd prefer to introduce yourself other than wizard? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm the nation's DC correspondent, um, but I do think wizard sounds cooler, so maybe we should go with that. The Uh, practitioner of the dark open records. What's that? I said the nation's DC wizard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, soft yeah. pitch when you're up for a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're going to talk about uh, FOIA all day today. In short, basically, it's a law passed in the late 1960s that gives uh, you, the people, the right to ask the government for files that it has, and the government has to give them, you know, with some limitations in terms of like classified information and whatnot. But that's. That's like the that's that's the the very brief dumb summary of FOIA. Ken, how would you uh, like to explain it uh, as a smarter person than me? <laughs> well, as one that um, has used this um, frequently, I would distinguish that from <laughs> being smart. Um, I, it, it, yeah, as you say, it was passed in the late 1960s, and this was really a victory of the um, free speech movement that existed at the time. Um, and uh, you know, if you read my reporting, uh, you'll see that I'm you know quite critical of uh, U.S. domestic and foreign policy. Um, but it, one thing that's really cool about this country is that we have uh, one of the richest um, open records laws, um, certainly in the West, perhaps in the world. Um, and so in many ways, I think that FOIA is one of the best kept secrets, not just of journalism, but of uh, any concerned citizen that wants to learn uh, what's going on with the government, because you can literally just ask them and pursue it to a number of exemptions, um, you know, privacy exemptions, you mentioned classified information, national security, that kind of thing. Um, they have to give you these things. And the idea behind that is, you know, our taxes paid for the government to produce these records, and therefore um, we're entitled um, to the contents. Yeah, it's like it, you don't think about it much, but it really is kind of a beautiful thing about this country is that we we have – and it took like a lot of fighting from a lot of people to enshrine this right that like if the government does something, we have the right to know exactly – what it is. Yeah. And there are many countries, um, that, uh, either don't have that or it's severely curtailed in terms of, um, what, what they'll release. And so, um, I think the extent to which it is deficient, um, is, um, there, you know, there could be more, um, compliant, better compliance. There could be better enforcement. Um, you can have, uh, more meaningful oversight. That is to say, oversight from, you know, a part of the government that is separate and distinct um, and independent from the agencies that it's supposed to be overseeing, uh, plenty of criticisms of it. Um, all that being said, it's a great tool and it's tragically underused. I wish not just reporters, but, uh, you know, concerned citizens uh, would use this stuff because, um, you know, if you're trying to get a FOIA from the State Department or the CIA or the FBI, um, you know, that's an experience that will probably take a little time and may be frustrating. But at the local level, um, where every state in the country has its own interpretation of FOIA, you can get things back remarkably quickly mm-hmm. and with uh, minimal redactions too. So yeah, I think it's a I think it's a wonderful tool, and I'm a big evangelist for um, you know everyone trying to use it, not just not just journalists. So what's so, the process for uh, your average citizen wanting to submit a FOIA request? So um, there is, of course, for you know each of the fifty states, they have their own interpretation of FOIA, which is a state. Um, statute, and that's going to, you know, vary um, according to my state. But for the federal one, you don't even have to be an American citizen to use this. What? It breaks my heart because I get so many calls from people that are asking me um, for help with these things and, and sort of saying, you're a journalist, you have credentials, uh, are you able to do this stuff? And I'll tell them, you don't need credentials for this. Anybody can, you can be a Russian national and you can ask for things and, and 
it's the same laws governing, you know, public disclosure of the information. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you can, you can use it. Mm -hmm. What was the, when did you, like, what was your first FOIA request that you ever filed? Like, what was the first thing that, that kind of prompted you to, to get into doing this? Um, when the torture report came out, I remember seeing Stephen Yu and he was, I think he was with the, um, office of legal counsel and he created this sort of, um, uh, Byzantine legal justification for, for what frankly is, you know, the torture program. Um, you know, they would call it enhanced interrogation. But um, I remember thinking, how can I find out more about this uh, than what's being reported? Because there was so much reliance on, um, you know, anonymous sources. And I don't want to, you know, denigrate journalists in the national security world. You have to use anonymous sources because um, the Justice Department is very aggressive about um, rooting out, you know, people that disclose information that's either classified or destroying their careers um, if it's embarrassing to the administration. Um, but all that being said, primary search documents can go a long way towards giving us a picture, a sort of unbiased, um, unvarnished view into what's going on since the documents speak for themselves. Um, and so I noticed that Stephen Yee was a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. And once I saw that, I was like, hello. So I just FOIA'd his um, emails from the week that the torture report, the Senate torture report was released. And what I found was, um, I'm trying to remember, this is so long ago. Um, was him dodging all these requests from media for him to go on and uh, either answer questions about it, you know, um, discuss it alongside an ACLU representative, or even just like talk about it and defend it. He, he declined to do any of that. And I thought that that was quite telling. Um, and when I reported it, I remember Marcy Wheeler retweeted it. And um, at the time that was like, I mean, I, I still respect Marcy's work quite a lot, but that I was like over the moon. And I was like, at that point I had, I had caught the FOIA bug. <laughs> Uh, because it was so cool that I was able to get this stuff back within a pretty timely um, uh, sort of time frame. And, and then also that it was able to reach people and get shared. And they didn't care who I was or what publication I was with, or what my politics were. Because I was a you know, very young reporter at that time. Uh, because they were able to see the primary source documents there. And, and, and those are indisputable. And that sort of showed me uh, how, how this tool can, can work at its best, I think. And that, like, what's so cool to that to me is the, kind of the thought process you had to go through to figure out, like, what to request. Because kind mm -hmm. of the thing about FOIA, there's no, like, drop-down menu that says, here's what the government has. Like, <laughs> what files do you want, right? Like, you have to – you had to kind of cleverly work out what thing you could ask for that would correspond directly to files that exist so that the government would have to provide them, right? Like, there's a little bit of – um. Like you have to be able to kind of think like the government to figure out what it is you're going to look for. Yeah, that's very like perceptive that that you say that because a lot of people think, uh, you know, how do you do this FOIA stuff? Like, it, you're just pulling out of nowhere. It's like, no, very often I have sources that are like directing me and telling me where things are located and what they're called, because it's insane to think that any individual is going to be able to learn the, you know, absolutely Byzantine structure of the State Department, the you know DOD the uh, DOJ, um, it's much easier to have someone who either retired from there or is still active and familiar with these institutions to kind of guide you along and describe to you, oh, you're interested in this. Well, we produce a quarterly report on that. And um, it, as you sort of alluded to, um, one of my biggest criticisms of FOIA is that we don't really have freedom of information. I think we have freedom of records. This is the point I always try to make to people that are asking me for um, help with FOIA. Um, that is to say, we have we have the ability to request extant records, records that have been already produced and have titles and we know where they're located and, and, and what, what, you know, um, but that, that's different from saying, oh, I'd like to learn about, um, I don't know, um, Homeland Security policy on um, the southern border, um, 
they, they're under no obligation under case law or under FOIA itself um, to, to conduct any sort of research for you. All they have to do is give you documents that already exist, and unless you're in the institution or very familiar with it, it can be hard to know what those documents are called. In the case of the um, emails that are requested, I, um, I just requested a very narrow time frame. I said all emails containing the keyword um, torture sent to and from um, you, and I, I knew when I asked for the emails from UC Berkeley, I figured, well, that's a public university. Remember, you can't request these things from businesses because those are private institutions. Um, it's a really good exercise in, in why um, private ownership, what that means for um, um, you know the public's right to know about things because you, you you just have no access to anything that's that's corporate, that's not government. And whereas on the other hand, you can criticize government all you want, and there are plenty you know of sensible criticisms of it. At least we have access to what they're doing, at least in principle. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just requested a very narrow time frame with a keyword and that produced it. But, um, looking back, that's like a very rookie <laughs> way to do it without having someone guide you along and, and tell you, um, what sorts of things are located where. And, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, I think like one of the most important sort of lessons in terms of, you know, filing FOIA requests, but also in terms of like actually getting, useful information out of the government in this way on the stuff that they're doing with our with our money and in our name is kind of learning at ways to um think around like them like to to, to sort of figure out like what uh, the way that they think and then use that knowledge to um figure out stuff that they may have left out i stumbled upon a neat breadcrumb recently that was just sort of like playing around in google i did um a file type search. So you type in file type colon and PDF and it'll bring up, you know, PDF results. And then I, I did a site colon search for ice.gov and it brought up a bunch of records for all of the FOIA requests served to ICE because they have to publish all of that. And so among that was like all of the different files that the Republican Party requested um, from ICE during the 2016 election. Um, and so like doing stuff like that, then you could see, okay, well then I'm going to file a FOIA request to ICE and I'm going to see what the Republican party wanted to know, like as they were, you know, ramping up plans for what would become the Trump administration. Like there's all sorts of, um, like kind of the more, more you time you spend fooling around online, trying to figure out what's out there, the more ideas you'll get for things to request. Oh, totally. Um, and that's the part that's really hard for me to impress on people is it really helps have a curious mind, um, with this kind of thing. I always call voice a very asymmetric tool. It's a very, it's like, it reminds me of jujitsu. It's like the, in jujitsu, you're supposed to use the weight of your opponent against themselves because uh, mm. you're a smaller person. And so with this stuff, a tendency of power systems generally, I think, and certainly the government is they love to obsess over everything and memorialize everything in documents and, and just surveil everything and write everything <laughs> down. And that creates a weakness because when they've written everything down, then conceivably you might be able to get at it. Um, and so all you have to do at that point then is learn their sort of internal system of, uh, you know, organization and classification of these things. And you can get a lot of these things that they obsessively are, are, are writing down and, and, and memorializing. I love that uh, analogy. And like, what's the general time frame? Like, is there a time frame that you're supposed that they're supposed to honor in getting you information, getting you documents? Yes, there is. And many of them violate it. This is what I was getting at before when I said that there's not enough compliance, there's not enough oversight. So um, under the law, they're supposed to respond within 20 days, and they can invoke a 10-day extension beyond that. But within um, 30 days max, they're supposed to have, um, you know, either, you know, I think, yeah, produce records. And it almost is never, that is almost, they almost never make that deadline at the federal level. At the state level, it's way faster, much, much more, um, you know, 
rapid. And I think that a lot of ways they get around FOIA is just by sort of defunding and, and understaffing these agencies so they don't have the resources to be able to respond to these things quickly, because why would they want, want them to do so? Um, but if you, you know, litigate and, and put it in front of a judge, then they, you know, immediately will require them to create um, in many, you know, and in, in, the results are quite good from, from the courts. Of course, that's cost prohibitive for a lot of people. But um, it, I, I would say it's, it varies wildly. I've gotten things back from ICE and the State Department within, you know, a few, maybe th three weeks or so. And then I've had to wait for documents from those same agencies for like four or five years. Oh, wow. So it's like really hard. Yeah, there's different backlogs and they have different tracks that they try to relegate people to. It's called the complex versus the simple track, depending on um, you know how they how they think. And and some of that makes sense because a lot of requests are way too broad, and so it, it isn't you know reasonable for them to be able to um, you know re respond to them promptly. But like th that opens up a lot of um, possibility for abuse. Um, when you have things like that, because then they can get something that's perhaps, you know, politically embarrassing and say, oh, yeah, that feels a little complex to me. Maybe we'll put it on the back burner and maybe get around to it once the administration is no longer, <laughs> no longer in power. Um, of course, that doesn't work at the, at the judiciary level, but um, not everyone has money for a lawsuit. Um, so to answer your question, it varies wildly. And, and also how narrow you, you word the request. If you're extremely narrow with the request, um, I would say that the interests of the FOIA offices are generally to try to increase um, their raw number of uh, like responses that they give out. Mm -hmm. And so if they see something that's really simple, they're like, oh, I can knock this out quick, have another response that I can report to Congress at the end of the year saying, oh, look at all these documents right. that we um, released. Then, yeah, you want to make it as easy for them as they can, or at least as hard for them as possible to yeah. to um, claim that they can't do it uh, quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but so it's very, it's very complicated. Yeah. Is there any uh, instance that was like the like sticks in your mind is an incredibly frustrating uh, time when you requested something, had a lot of back and forth, but ultimately did it or one that you're like still waiting on. Um, yeah, I would say one out of four of these, I, I, I always hate to give people the impression when, if you just read my reporting, you think, Oh wow, this guy's got it all figured out. But uh, the story, the voice that turned into stories are a small fraction of the ones that I sent out. Um, I really have like a shotgun approach where I send a bunch out and, um, Quite a lot of it will be interesting, but it's not really uh, may not be timely. It may not you know rise to the level of uh, you know full written news story. So um, like yeah, this is a small fraction of the ones that 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 become the kind of stuff that I sort of tweet out and have a and have a write up of. So I would say um, yeah, quite a lot of them are are pretty frustrating. Um, I, working with the FOIA officers, I often encourage it because um, we don't yet have the compliance in place to kind of. Um, you know, assume a measure of good faith. And so it can help to sort of um, kind of make common cause with them and say, okay, look, like you've got your interests. I have mine. Let's see if we can figure out some way that it overlaps. Um, and, and often I think there is, if you're clever about it. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, like, is there one that particularly stands out as like what you would call your greatest success? Like the, the, the kind of the hit that you got that, that was you know most impressive to you and that you felt had the biggest impact? Um, I guess I FOIA'd that this is kind of funny. Um, in the State Department, um, Trump has targeted a lot of diplomats that he, you know, considers disloyal. Um, and so what he's doing uh, in many cases uh, since there are like federal, you know, laws against just getting rid of people, it's hard to just get rid of a bunch of people because you don't like them. Um, cause that's not, you know, if they're career people, you, you can't, you can't do that. 
So he'll relegate them to the FOIA office. Now, what do you think happens when you take a bunch of, um, you know, probably from Trump's point of view, left wing um, people that don't like Trump and you put them in the records disclosure office? Um, well, yeah. what happens is they, <laughs> they work with people like me, <laughs> you know, perhaps not explicitly. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but um, to, you know, release things that should be released, but perhaps, uh, you know, another FOIA officer would, would sense was uh, politically um, sensitive and, and, and not release. And I had a number, <laughs> a very good year with State Department FOIAs, um, it, you know, not directly related to this necessarily, but let's see, I got a list of gifts that saw it, that uh, Trump was given from, by uh, the Saudi um, royals when he visited. Uh, that was his first foreign visit in 2017, which, uh, of course, was jettisoning, um, you know, a, a history of always either picking Mexico or Canada, which makes sense, they're neighboring mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. um, so I requested the gifts list. And, um, you know, if they... Uh, had their head on straight, they would have sensed that this was uh, sort of a politically touchy thing. Um, I don't. I don't think this was yet when when he started pushing um, the diplomats into the FOIA office. So I don't think that's what was at play. But um, yeah, they released the whole list. It's just what you'd expect, kind of like you know, golden coins, like swords, <laughs> like all this, all this stuff that is just like after Trump literally said, like I think he said that yeah, he said Saudi Arabia did nine eleven and and Clinton's with them and the Clinton Foundation and is close to the Gulf. And then we have this whole list of stuff they lavished on him. Um, so I would say that was a pretty fun story and sort of illustrative of, um, you know, uh, how little Trump seems to actually believe yeah. as opposed to like, what do you, what do you, what do you purports to believe? Yeah. Um, and that was also explained to me by a former diplomat who was familiar with, um, uh, you know, the sorts of stuff that gets written down when, when, a, when a president has a has a foreign visit which which i didn't know about and it's just really i mean i would really encourage people to talk to retired people yeah it's one of the best ways but that yeah that's maybe my favorite one I, I, it's hard for me to assess like what, what the impact is um how many would you say that you have out now like i know I've, you've shared like here's the pile that i just sent out <laughs> but like would you say you've got hundreds out there or yeah a few a few hundred i've done I've, i'm less yeah, I probably have less out now than I now, have in the Ken, past. Ken, we're going to have to ask you to say hundo on the podcast. Hundo, <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Very important. Style, In-house style guide. I'll, I'll try to keep that in mind. <laughs> um, yeah, probably a few hundred. Uh, I know I still am in the FBI's list, uh, which is funny. They have, a, <laughs> they have a term for it. It's called something like high volume team, team? HVT. Yeah, and what's funny about that term is HVT also means something else, and <laughs> Robert knows does. what that means. Yeah, HVT means something else, which I don't think is lost on on FBI agents because they're in the intelligence community. HVT means high value targets. Yep. That's what they. That's yeah. what they call people that they want to drone. Ooh, that's so a I, little I, creepy. I, I doff my cap at that. Yeah, I thought that was quite funny and and quite creepy too. Um, <laughs> guys, uh, we need to take a real quick break for you know ads and stuff sure. uh speaking of drones yeah you know who makes the guidance <laughs> systems in the drones that kill most of america's high value targets the fine people at raytheon who also <laughs> sponsor worst year ever uh we'll be right back mm -hmm. welcome to the worst year ever we'll get through together or not okay round two name something that's not boring Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. As promised, we're right back. Buy your Raytheon products. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, for one, I'm a big fan of that sword missile that they make with Lockheed Martin. Oh, the yeah. missile with the swords. You would love that. That's you my love favorite blades. Raytheon product. I like the Hellfires. <laughs> mm, your classics, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the basics. It's like the Michelob Ultra of, uh, of <laughs> killing people at range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just th- thinking of... Um, uh, Russ Cole and True Detective, where he's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just just burning I'm a simple lone man. stars, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't need anything fancy. No, no, just a good old fashioned hellfire. <laughs> well, um, so I I kind of figured, Ken, that we would talk for a little bit about some. Uh, we all did a little bit of digging and and pulled up some fun cases of uh, uh, past FOIA requests that people have sent out and seen some success with. And I, mo- most of the ones I found came from Muckrock. Um, which seems to be a pretty good site for collecting information on like FOIA requests that people are sending out and getting info back from. I know they've done an interview with you before. Oh yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, so I found one on uh, <laughs> this journalist file. Does everyone remember when Ajit Pai uh, of the the FCC um, did that Harlem Shake video to like <laughs> yeah. make fun of people who were worried about the end of internet neutrality? <laughs> Oh my God. That was like the most depressing thing. Cause it's just like, not just are we going to take this thing from you that, you know, is really formative for a lot of people my age, um, mm-hmm. you know, relatively open web, but I am going to do it in the most humiliating way that shows yeah. that we don't care about you at all. And we don't even know the cultural touchstones that we're trying to use right now to um, induce in you some, some affection for, for the people that are going about doing this. It's, it's, it was a remarkably I want to call it tone deaf, but I actually think it was completely, he completely understood how the shitty cruelty he was, was being the, when the he The cruelty was the point? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so he releases this absurd video, uh, and this journalist files a FOIA request um, for all of the emails um, that were related to the Harlem Shake video. And the FCC rejects the request uh, under the B-5 exemption, um, which basically means that they're arguing that releasing these emails would harm the agency's ability to make similar videos in the future. Um, so the journalist appeals uh, and claims that this is a bad faith interpretation of the the B-5 um, and eventually he gets, <laughs> so eventually he gets a redacted version of the email, one of the emails Pi had sent related to this video. And it's like very clearly just a single word. And he goes back and forth, uh, with the, the FCC, like over and over again, um, to try and get the email unredacted. And when he does, it's literally just an email with the word, okay, in it. <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are a lot of things like that. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that FOIA offices, they, they perceive um, at the federal level, they know that the White House is their boss, or at least that's who they perceive in, in, in many respects, um, who, who, who they're answering to. Each agency has its own uh, sort of FOIA oversight, which can help. I, I do think that it's worth, um, I've had cases where I have appealed, many cases where I've appealed and, and, and gotten stuff. Um, lifted. So, for example, in if you go in the FBI office, I know that in their FOIA office they have something on the wall that says "When in doubt, black it out." So they're <laughs> going to like very liberally redact things. Yeah. And um, you know, while the oversight that exists isn't perfect, um, they're not quite that bad. <laughs> and so they'll look at things and be like, "Come on, guys! Like, give them this part or whatever." So, um, so yeah, I'm a big proponent of of going through the appeals process um, wherever you can. Uh, yeah, but that it, sadly is not an unusual unusual story. No, and in this case, because it was a very good journalist who was kind of doing this digging, um, they obviously knew that this one email with the word okay in it wasn't the extent of of uh oh sorry, no, that's a different case. Um sorry, I uh, my notes are a little bit uh messy. So I the other foyer case I wanted to bring up uh was somebody who filed a request for um uh all memos related to President Donald Trump's proposed border wall. Um, and after like 17 months, ICE closed out the FOIA request um, saying that there were no records. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so obviously that's not true. Um, and what? The journalist, Come on. Hmm? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're getting the a ju- fake news. Ter- we're getting a fake news territory over here. I need a fact check. Can we get some Pinocchios on the, uh, well, on the claims over here? Th- there was a fact check done. Uh, the journalist fact checked it by doing a search on just basically combing through the Department of Homeland Security's website and realized that they had posted up a ton of PDF documents on the site in a non-public place and didn't realize that they were still indexed by Google and searchable. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Delicious. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. And so they found at least two memos signed by John Kelly uh, implementing the president's border security and immigration enforcement improvements policies and enforcement of the immigration laws to serve the national interests. Um, these were both like linked to. They were on the Wayback Machine. Um, like it's <laughs> and the like the way you find stuff like that. It, it's actually shockingly common to run into stuff that hasn't been like isn't supposed to be publicly um available but is still on like indexed and searchable if you just do like a file type pdf site for like dhs.gov or something like you can just scroll through everything that's up there you can do keyword searches i i'm guessing that's how this person did it um but yeah it's it's a great story yeah there's so many cases like that where 
Um, yeah. the, Stephen Aftergood of the Federation of American Scientists, um, he does very good FOIA work too. He did a case where he sent out identical requests um, to uh, the same agency, but like he waited a year. Or, or I'm trying to remember exactly <laughs> what the details were. Or he, he sent maybe three out once, once at the beginning of each year, something like that. And then he looked at the results and every, every response was different. There were, in some responses, these things were redacted, and others these weren't, and in another these weren't. So there's clearly not, you know, consistency with 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 how they're interpreting these um, these exemptions. Yeah, um, like yeah, and it 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 goes into what you were saying. It just kind of depends on like who's processing the request. Like there's not right. When, yeah, when they when they upload a document or like when the government you know puts together a document, they don't like write into it and like if somebody happens to FOIA this, like, right, here's here what are the you words. Black yeah. and here's what you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Katie, Cody, did you have a, what did one of you have a FOIA, uh, example you wanted to go into? Yeah, Cody does. I misinterpreted what we were doing. <laughs> I just pulled up some of my favorite articles, articles of yours, Ken. <laughs> to talk about. Oh, that's fine too, yeah. <laughs> um, but go ahead, Cody. Oh, I just thought, I, there's this one funny one, because you know how, like, there, there are going to be movies where the production company works with the government on them. And I know, like, Marvel's got some, you know, there's some propaganda out there. When the the movie Battleship, based off the game Battleship, they worked on that with the the Navy. And so they had, like, a, deals with the Navy. Um, and Ingu King, uh, formerly at Slate, works at the Hollywood Reporter now, uh, just did a FOIA for records, like, between the production company of Battleship, the game, the movie, and the Navy. Um <laughs> Just to see. Um, it's like standard stuff, mostly like pay for this, pay for this. Um, I thought it was very funny that one of the stipulations was that the production provides uh, at least 10 DVD copies of the movie Battleship when it's over. <laughs> That's such a specific number of DVDs of Battleship to request. It's very specific. Uh, they claim for like historical records, um, but I know they just wanted to see Battleship. No, what I love about that is that clearly one copy of Battleship would have been enough for the whole species for forever. Absolutely. We, we yeah. like just go into the theater, watch it once. It's in your brain. You're good. You don't need, even need the DVD. That's awesome. Um, so like le- less important for sure. Um, but I do think, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's valuable, I think, also yeah. to uh, be able to point to like, no, I mean – the Department of Defense works with these movies right. to make sure that they're, right. they're to make sure they're presented uh, in the way that they want to be. A lot of the uh, uh, documents show that it was very clearly like, you know, we need to have someone on there all the time, so you make sure that we mm-hmm. you were presented uh, not just accurately but positively. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, I mean that's actually a hugely important story, and there have been a couple of really good articles written about the. I mean, it's at this point like close to half a century um, collaboration between the Department of Defense uh, and Hollywood um, that is like largely responsible for uh, how. Like, like a lot of the attitudes the American populace has, not just of our military, but of its capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think like, th- th- number one, like the reporting on these on this story has heavily involved FOIA requests, which has revealed the hundreds of millions of dollars um, worth of, of free assistance that the Department of Defense gives Hollywood. Like there's a lot of movies that probably wouldn't have been made um, without the DOD, you know, giving right. the, these like, like, like all of the Michael Bay movies, like have millions of dollars in free 
uh, government uh, like equipment grants and stuff, where they're just handing them tanks and personnel to man them, get, li- giving them access to aircraft carriers and stuff. And you know, it's like it's it it, it does kind of seem silly when you're focusing on like battleship DVDs. <laughs> right. But I think this this pr- decades long propaganda campaign is also partly responsible for like. Why so many Americans thought that when we rolled into Iraq in 2003, it was going to be easy? Yeah. Like, it, of course, we could handle this. Like, I, it, it, the, the, this yeah, is I've like seen movies. The capabilities it's fine. Of the military. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's also responsible for a lot of my young friends making uh, poor decisions about what to do after <laughs> high school. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so as I, I said, I misinterpreted uh, what you wanted us to do here. Uh, but yeah, I did pull up a couple um, pieces from you, Ken, that I I'd, I'd remembered seeing in the past. And, and one of them, I think, actually uh, underscores what you said earlier about how you can request documents from other countries. Uh, and it's these, this, um, unless I'm completely wrong, uh, this one about how an Israeli official uh, had warned Trump against cutting Palestinian aid. Uh, and I believe in this, you also talk about how you got documents from Israel as well. Can you talk a little bit about this story coming together? Yeah. So I feel like you would be better one. to explain it than me because you wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so I'd like Katie explaining Ken's reportage to Katie, him while he sits quietly. <laughs> Katie explaining, yeah. Um, the So I had uh, this was when President Trump was trying to cut like all aid to the Palestinian Authority. Yeah. I, of course, knew that. Um, you know, between people at state that I know uh, were telling me that this was going to create, you know, a security issue, like whether or not, I mean, it's a moral thing on one side, like, right. you know, people should have food to eat. But then also um, there is like uh, serious security things that arise when people don't have food. <laughs> they, yeah. They're not going to be happy, you know. So um, I requested, I can't remember exactly how I worded the request. But what I got back was, it, it was incredible. It was from the, um, I, I had forwarded the, um, M- the U.S. Embassy in, in Tel Aviv. Um, and it, it was something like documents relating to the um, decision to cut the uh, PA funding, which the U.S. provides in part. Um, and what it showed and suggests to me that actually that, that, that there was dissent within state, because I don't know this for certain, but I yeah. don't see why they would have given me this otherwise. Um, they, dis- they, had a, they had a diplomatic cable um, describing um, a Ministry of Defense official from Israel urging um, the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv not to do this because it's going to have, it, you know, it might have catastrophic um, effects on, um, as I said, not just on the livelihood of the region, but also like the security situation. Mm-hmm. Like this there could be an increase in terrorism. Um, and what's amazing is they even identified, if I recall right in the document, um, who the official was. And usually they redact those things because this person was a was cited as a confidential informant. Um, uh, who had told, um, because, you know, he's working under Netanyahu, mm-hmm. um, so he doesn't want to, this person doesn't want to get caught, um, uh, you know, criticizing the United States or criticizing the Trump administration like that. So I ended up reporting it. And in the U.S., the response, of course, was muted. But in Israel, I think it was, I think their foreign minister was screaming about it. And uh, people were really angry <sighs> that that had come out because I think it's very likely that, that you know, um, factions within the State Department wanted it out because they were very yeah. worried about it, yeah. um, whether or not they're, you know, conservative or liberal or whatever, just seeing how crazy of a policy it is. That probably feels satisfying in a way when you're like, oh. Oh, I was, to help the Palestinians out, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so sad, um, the conditions generally, and then especially under the Trump administration. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more, I mean, there's so many disappointing <laughs> FOIA outcomes. It's nice to have a good one. Yeah. Um, sorry, one second. 
Yeah, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about like one of the things that sort of does like this is such an accessible thing to do filing FOIA requests, with the exception that there are there are fees uh, sometimes, and mm. they're they're not always insignificant fees, and there are ways to get those abated though. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. Like, do you have any sort of advice on, you know, how folks can can go through this stuff without you know breaking the bank if they don't have a lot? Like, because one of the things that should be good about this is that you don't have to have the resources of the Washington Post or the New York Times. But like for the requests that, you know, the Washington Post published a great article earlier this year based on like a ton of requests uh, they filed and fought in court to get uh, from the Pentagon uh, about the war in Afghanistan. And that obviously cost them probably millions of dollars in legal fees and everything like that. Um, the work that you do, and I think the work that other people can do, you know, doesn't doesn't need that kind of funding. But you do kind of have to be smart about the way you go about doing it. Yeah, totally. And I want to stress that um, you know we're talking about these um, subjects that it may seem um, sort of lofty, like you know, foreign policy in the Middle East, Israel Palestine. Um, it's not all like that. Uh, let me give you a story. Um, it, there was a big controversy. I don't remember where. This was in a local paper somewhere. A kid had FOIA'd um, the like final exam, the answers to final exam, and they produced it under FOIA. <laughs> and he was able to oh like God. pass the test. And after this, they had to change the, the state interpretation of how it's applied to like educational institutions. I mean, honestly, so, like, though, that creative out of the box you know? thinking deserves an A. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so you could use this stuff for like, I mean, if you want to go to a city council meeting and figure mm -hmm. out ooh, some sort of zoning thing where they're going to put a stop sign, like, it doesn't have to be this, you know, um, kind of stuff that you would think about being in the New York Times or something. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, there, um, it, it is important to know the way the law is written. It's a fairly simple law. I don't want people to be um, uh, deterred um, thinking that, you know, oh, it sounds like I have to know all this stuff. There's a learning curve for getting better results, but um, just the sort of crash course, and it's really not that bad. So um, I'm, as a reporter, I get what's called a um, media fee request status at the federal level. Again, there's um, federal FOIA and then there's every single one in the state level. So California has like the Sunshine Law and then, you know, maybe Illinois has the Illinois Open Records Law. So I'm just talking about the federal one right now, but they're not enormously different. Um, it, in most states, um, at, as with the um, federal government, if you can demonstrate, uh, for example, a public need for the information, if you can demonstrate that, that there's some, um, for me, I have to demonstrate newsworthiness of the information requested. But if you're an ordinary person, just requesting, um, you can also get um, a fee waiver if you're with an educational institution. Say you're a student, for instance, and you're doing something for a dissertation or something like that. Um, you can get a special fee waiver for that. Um, I would encourage people to look at Muckrock. You mentioned Muckrock. That's a great resource for yeah. just kind of showing you the basics of, of how this stuff works. And they'll list they'll list um, what the different, um, uh, they're called fee waiver statuses. Um, are and you can find if one applies to you and in many cases in many cases it can um, depending on how you depending on how you word it and that's something that they do actually tend to be pretty reasonable about um, certainly at the federal level they might fight a little bit more at the state level but that's something that's well worth it and will save you a whole lot of money um, so I would encourage people yeah just type in um, FOIA fee waivers muckrock and, and and I'm sure there'll be plenty of um, resources for you to to go off of and see how to sort of craft and, and, and frame your request yeah they also have you can like if you request something and it's just an overwhelming document with too much in it uh on muckrock i think you can post it and like the community will help you sort of go oh, through the actual documents that's great 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you know, like, there's a topic or, like, something you want to see, but, like, you just don't have the knowledge necessarily to go through the 40 page, however, you know, long it is. Um, Imagine if every citizen exercised their right to submit a FOIA mm-hmm. request, how mm-hmm. much we would uncover. We could stop the government. This is how we get our libertarian paradise. We collapse the federal government through FOIA requests. Um, you joke about it, but this is actually um, culturally FOIA warriors. People perceive yeah. me as a big FOIA person, but I think a part. Of, I'm certainly not the best by any means. Um, I'm just someone that uses it that happens not to be. The, I'm different in that I tend to ask the sort of stuff that 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 maybe people with my broadly speaking, I don't know, progressive politics uh, might find interesting. FOIA for years and still now has been dominated by right-wing libertarian types. Mm. And um, it's a, it, in, in some respects, uh, you know, I don't want to denigrate them because they do a lot of good work and, 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 you know, I work with them on a lot of things. But that's going to put blinders on this types of stuff that they're interested in. Um, they tend to be, for instance, more interested in waste um, right. than, uh, you know, perhaps, I don't know, what, what, what any other left group might, might, might think is important. And, uh, and above all of that, um, if you go through, say, you can request FOIA logs. That's a lot of fun to just go through them and see the kind of stuff people are requesting. They can give you a good idea for how to word these requests because it'll often tell you the disposition of each request, what ended up happening. Were you given things? Were you given partial things? Were you rejected? Blah, blah, blah. But if you go through the FOIA logs for, say, the FBI, it's heartbreaking. The most common request is QAnon, is yeah. like UFOs, Aliens, Roswell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those, are, those are the majority of people that are using this. They're, or, ordinary people do not use this tool, and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but if they did, I do think you'd see a big sea change because this is really, I think, this is the garlic to the vampire of kind of like um, uh, takes and ideology and opinion is just the primary source documents yeah. um, that you know everyone can sort of agree is, 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 is fact-based. Okay, we have to take another quick break for the ads and stuff, <laughs> and then we're, we'll be back. It's true. When we come back, we're going to we're going to talk about what I'm sure we've all been waiting to talk about. Everybody on the podcast's friend and friend of the podcast, Michael Bloomberg. Oh, baby. Finally. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. 
We're back. We're back. Oh my god. Oh. I love it in those ads uh, that we got both both Raytheon and Michael Bloomberg ads. I, I love that he's decided to announce early that his VP is just going to be a Predator drone. I'm very excited. It's a bold move in many ways. Mm-hmm. I think it'll work. Yeah. It keeps the focus on him, you know, because mm-hmm. he's, yeah. he's so charismatic. You don't want you don't want to overshadow that. Now, Ken, you recently had uh, a non-FOIA-related FOIA coup uh, re- relating to the Bloomberg campaign, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling that story so that we can uh, gloat over it with you. Yeah, so I've been a bit, uh, a bit, a little bit typecast. There's more to me than I'm. I'm you know, I'm not just, I'm not just a FOIA guy. I do, I do other things too. One thing I really enjoy is I, I alluded to this earlier. But like a lot of my FOIAs come from tips that sources give me. Uh, I'm probably better working with sources, I think, than, than FOIAs. A lot of the credit, I think, should go to the sources who describe where these things are. Um, but you know, all that being said, I used that in uh, my reporting on Bloomberg. And what I found um, is that there are a whole lot of people working for Bloomberg that are um, both you know, willing and, and actually quite enthusiastic to try to um, help inform their um, fellow Americans about um, what's going on with this uh, billionaire funded um sort of grassroots or, i'm sorry um astroturfed not grassroots <laughs> <Yeah>. campaign <laughs> yeah There's it's almost like when you offer to pay organizers and activists who are generally broke six thousand dollars a month and give them health insurance a lot of people who don't otherwise agree with you will get on board because they need the money to survive <laughs> yeah i always laugh when people are like oh your source is going to get caught for these different stories you're getting and it's like what makes you think i have one source right, right. <laughs> like, i don't want to I don't want to get into specifics, but I talk to a lot of people in the Bloomberg campaign that are not authorized to talk to me. <laughs> so this, uh, you get this document sent to you that is um, like uh, the uh, the like right after the debate comes out, and obviously like Joe Biden even and uh, and Elizabeth Warren hit Bloomberg on the NDA issue, um, the fact that he's had a whole lot of women sign NDAs for. Uh, you know, we, we know some of what it is, but we don't know most of what, you know, uh, those have been about. And you get sent the document that is like the NDA, the employees on his campaign are required to sign. Um, and you know, what is it like getting something like that in your inbox, Ken? <laughs> well, um, there's always a mix of anxiety because you don't want to get anyone in trouble. To me, that's, um, I'm sorry, more important than the story. Um, I have yeah. stories I sit on because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, but once I sort of, you know, poked around and looked at it, it sounds like this is one that a whole lot of people sign. And I, um, you know, I have ways, there are ways like I, I don't, um, I'll, I'll, I'll print it and I'll blur it a little bit. There are all sorts of things you can do to, to obscure, um, sourcing. Um, and so when I felt comfortable, you know, that, that this was not gonna be something that would get back to the person, um, then I was excited really, cause I think that this is illustrative of the approach that he is trying to import from wall street into uh, government, um, you know, he's running this campaign just like he does his corporations, um, making people sign these NDAs. And I, I guess in a you know corporate context, it can make sense. You don't want to have proprietary information get out if you have, say, R&D for a product or something. I, I mean, I'm not an enthusiast for the, you know, um, you know capitalism in, in the private market or anything, but I can understand that at least. But um, when it comes to government, um, why do you need an NDA as this one was that was, I think, nine pages long in the language if you would just read it? And uh, I encourage people to you know, look at the primary source document in the story. It's extremely broad and can conceivably apply to anything. And I talked to um, you know, some government um, transparency experts at um, Crew. They do very good work. Um, and they described to me that uh, many campaign um, NDAs 
it, you know, the practice is increasing. I don't want to give people the impression that that all, any of this started with Bloomberg. It, this has been a this has been a practice that 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 more and more campaigns have been engaged in. Um, they told me that often NDAs are maybe a few sentences long, saying you know just don't do this and this, and very specific. Now, if you look at the language of this one, it covers virtually everything that uh, could conceivably have anything to do with a campaign, and why you would need to do that, not just um, of itself, but also indefinitely. There's no expiration date for these um, NDAs. Uh, first of all, I don't understand, and second of all, that's going to deprive the public of an understanding of uh, what happened with this really unprecedented mm -hmm. um, attempt by a billionaire to sort of insert himself in the national um, you know, stage. And I'm sorry, essentially buy an election. Um, I think we should know what's going on with that. Don't apologize for that, Ken. Don't apologize. <laughs> are you suggesting wow. maybe that running the government like a business is actually a bad idea? Well, I'm a. You see, I'm a reporter, so I'm an android. I don't have feelings or opinions. No, or, no, okay. will. Sorry. It would be illegal for a reporter to have an opinion <laughs> on the world. We're supposed no, I'm, to I'm take in information uh, and then never make decisions based on that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah, and I mean, we have an example of that. We have an example of an extraordinarily wealthy mogul that um, you know imported um, his 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 conduct in, in private business into uh, the public sphere, and what you see is extraordinary secrecy. Um, and mismanagement and incompetence. Because the thing is, secrecy is not just something to insulate yourself. It has all sorts of side effects, which is that um, people can't communicate with each other because everyone's paranoid. And as I'm told by you know staffers on the campaign, everyone's like, well, sign an NDA. Like, I don't know if I'm even allowed to talk about this with somebody else. Or you know, And so yeah. campaigns then become it's difficult for them to communicate internally. And it has all sorts of consequences that go beyond just you know protecting the privacy of, of whoever the individual at the heart of it is. Well, sounds Ken, like you I, need uh, to get paid by Bloomberg to change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, think, right. Well, I'm still waiting yeah. for the check, but uh, when that comes, then uh, we'll be doing any more of these. Changing your tune, yeah. Any day now, yeah, really. You'll be yep, doing sure. FOIA requests about uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, I don't know, writing essays when he was uh, in his early 20s that, that weren't very good and how relevant that is to a presidential campaign half a century later. We have well, the essays, for Bernie, <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately for Bernie, FOIA, and this is a criticism of it, um, does not apply to... Presidential campaigns are in this weird, quasi-public-private space that there are expectations of disclosure and information, but it's limited and it's not quite the same as uh, a formal federal agency or, or, or you know, right. government body. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a really weird... Uh, sort of middle ground yeah that's interesting does it does the sort of status of the campaign change once they like we're out of the primary season mm -hmm. like i know that you you tend to get your like secret service you know detail once you know you're kind of out of the primary season is that sort of the same thing with like your disclosure requirements change unfortunately um the presidency in general is very resistant to um uh you know pub public disclosure so for example uh Parts of the White House are, um, you can FOIA them, for example, the Office of Management and Budget, but the um, Executive Office of the President, or the Oval Office, those are completely exempt from FOIA. Um, and our executive has uh, really amazing privileges, at least relative to the rest of the agencies um, in our government. And so that is a big uh, sort of... Um, thing I, I enjoy complaining about all the time is, is how impenetrable the executive is to, to um, disclosure. I mean, that seems like something with no downside, though. So uh, Yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think we're all fans of a completely unaccountable um, and empowered 
uh, executive with with you know no no sort of accountability. Um, yeah, you to just want to have you don't want to have to think about it. You know. Yeah. How, this how does this saying how does the saying go? Absolute power leads to good things. Absolute power leads to absolute vodka, which is easily in the top <laughs> eleven or twelve kinds of vodka. Yeah, there so, we go. I knew it was something yeah. good. So. This nation was founded by people who looked at uh, an absolute ruler accountable to no one and were like, that's a good idea. Let's never stop. (laughs) (laughs) You're preaching the choir. Uh, uh, Ken, I think we've gone into everything we wanted to cover today. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about uh, while while we have you here and your brain opened up on the table for us to lick crevices and holes (laughs) of... Yeah, like that guy's right. taking the electrodes off right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would say uh, stay tuned. There's more to come on the Bloomberg campaign. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I'm excited. Follow <laughs> the hell out of Ken Klippenstein That's... on Twitter. Uh, and you might see him have another interaction with Jacob Wool because mm-hmm. Jacob Wool is definitely using a sock puppet account. Or his estranged brothers, um, the Krasensteins. Oh, the, my God. Grades. Yeah, for people who aren't aware, Clint ha- Ken had probably the oh. greatest moment in the history of Twitter uh, a year or so ago, um, and uh, uh, I don't know, Ken, do, do, you, do you mind closing us out by telling that beautiful story? Because it's one of the moments I go back to whenever I, I need a little bit of a pick-me-up. Okay, let me see here. I want to get the exact wording right, because it's too insane to be... People won't believe me if I'm not just reading it for being So, here. for um, background, Jacob Wohl is a scammer who... Uh, initially branded himself as the youngest uh, trader in um, in stock market history, and it turned out he was just scamming people, uh, and then moved on to being a right-wing grifter and is now trying to sell fitness tips for $500 a piece. Um, <laughs> and the Krasenstein brothers are kind of the left-wing version of him, or were, and basically just would harangue Donald Trump on Twitter and then tried to raise a bunch of money to make the worst illustrated children's book about how Robert Mueller is a shirtless uh, authoritarianism fighting hero. It was, it was a very embarrassing segment of American history. Yeah, he's a hunk who's uh, going to save us all. Yeah. I don't want to hear how embarrassing he is from people that weren't constantly mistaken for them or in, in earnest by countless, countless, like not very online people that genuinely thought I was. And and one of the most common re- replies to my stories by kind of like sincere sort of resistance moms were like, this story looks good, but... Aren't, aren't these guys supposed to be not credible? I think I heard that somewhere. And they're not kidding. Because it's like, it's like resistance Karen. Like, I don't think she's doing an irony when, when she <laughs> right, says right, that. Right, like, right. I think she, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I don't hear that. But, um, so yeah, b- between us two, what was funny about the story was it was kind of all of these unsavory characters in one, like, thing. Like, it was like, we, we were saying before how I attract all these uh, very surreal figures. It was like I was emptying the lint trap in, in whatever it was that's all these people are collecting in. Um, because, so I said to, I said to Jacob, well, what's it? I don't remember what I was replying to. It's some silly tweet of his. I said, what's it like to have a brain made of jello? He replies, you tell me Krasenstein. Um, they're always mistaking me for them. Um, and then I reply, the difference between you and the Krasensteins is their grifts don't immediately implode. And then I, I just, I don't even have the words. It was like brain melting what happened next because it was like, it felt like you were in the matrix, like it can't be real. And then, so Ed, Ed Krasenstein comes on the actual account, not a, not a like dummy. He intervenes and he replies to me. He's in response to my one about the griffs not immediately imploding. He says, boom, with an exclamation point. <laughs> 
Got him. And I was just blinking, looking at it, thinking it had to be a like a parody <laughs> account of his or something. And it was him. It's he actually said that. It's amazing. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's never far from my mind. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Oh, uh, Ken, you want to plug your pluggables before we roll out for the day? Yeah, I would say um, you can find me on Twitter at Ken Klippenstein. Um, check out my bio. I've got my signal in there. Um, if you're government or anywhere adjacent to it, I'm always happy to chat with people. Yeah, give them tips. Um, yeah. Yeah, send me tips. Yeah, Michael Bloomberg is a fan of the show, so I'm hoping he's going to reach out to you with some some. Yeah, if you like Bloomberg and you're close to him and you know potentially derogatory <laughs> things about him, I'm not going to do anything with that. Just tell me about it. I like to hear about it because it makes mm-hmm. me feel more human, realizing <laughs> that a great man like him has flaws, uh, as we all do. So, yeah, go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. And you well, can find us online at Worst Year Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And that's it. That is it. That's true. Those are the places. That's the only place you can find any of us. Thanks, Ken. All right, really yes. nice talking to you guys. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. I tried. Daniel? Lovely. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.